Pastor Jake. Hey, Tim. Hey, uh, how's it going for you? Uh, you know, so far, so good living the dream, living through this wonderful thing we call pandemic. Oh, it's been a joy in 2020, hasn't it? I don't know if I'd use the words joy, but yeah, it's been a joy so far. <laughs> and listen, you and I, we're getting older, right? So it's not just us worrying about the pandemic. But we're trying to parent through it, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it was just me and my wife, Barbara, it wouldn't be as difficult. But, you know, navigating this with a little one at home really changes the complexity. It's really strange to spend time kind of doing your own mental assessment. How am I doing? How am I doing okay? And then also having that extra pit in your stomach thinking, how are my kids doing? Are they okay? Is this normal? Nothing's normal. What's normal when nothing's normal? Yeah. And this is very new personally for me as a first time parent. You know, we have everybody telling us everything about what is it like to parent. It's already scaring us to death, but now it's in the midst of a pandemic. And so we don't know what to do sometimes. Yeah. I'm not sure that I have much to say to you because I didn't have a pandemic raging when my kids were one, like your daughter is. Yeah, it's just, you hear everything. We hear like, oh, you're wearing masks. Now your kid's going to be lower in social skills because she's not being able to read facial expressions. And we're like, I'm sorry, we don't want people to get sick around us if we have the virus. Yeah, and so you and I as pastors, we have heard from a lot of parents over the last few months. They're just worried about their kids. And I, I don't know that they're unreasonable in any of their questions, but it's really hard to get to the bottom of what's good parenting and uh, what's too much, what's not enough in this season. It's different. Yeah, it just seems like the book on parenting's being rewritten right now. Like what worked is changing because we're all at home. We're on each other's spaces. If you're living in a smaller home, there isn't like perfectly defined spaces. And so it's, it's different. We're all in each other's space and place. We don't have places to retreat to. And yeah, I'm getting those questions a lot from our neighbors, from people here at the church and just all over the place. And it's, it's interesting to wrestle with questions of like today, this week, this year, yep, and then their adulthood as well. What, what are we to be on the lookout for? Because our, our long-term models of what we're aiming for don't feel the same as they did before. And so the questions are, are really, really interesting and reasonable in terms of uh, what am I looking for and what am I doing parenting in this time that, that my mom and grandma never had to deal with. And so the sort of like way of passing information through generations uh, doesn't exist in ways that are helpful. Like maybe if you were having to face a, a pie baking contest <laughs> or a or a how to teeth your child issue. There were easy answers from generations for yeah. problems like that. Yeah, today what we're facing, there's just not much we can look back on to garner ways forward. And then when we try to plan and change, like, you know, we're in a, in a time where our information that we're getting is consistently changing. One week, your kids may be going back to school and the next week they may be stuck back at home. One week, they might be able to see their friends. The next week, that friend may be stuck in quarantine. And so um, what does a parent do when the playbook, when there isn't one? Yeah, and of course, there remains no easy answers. But I was so thankful in this episode of the podcast to spend time with a friend of mine, a part of Crossroads, 
Dr. Nicole Gloff, who's a child mm -hmm. psychiatrist. She has a practice in Ellicott City, and so she has her finger on the pulse of what life is like in this area of the country as a child and a parent. Uh, she she helped me really think about um, what are what are problems that kids are facing that they need a good parent for, and how how do we respond to that as parents? And then also, what are the sort of things as parents that we should be looking for that that are more clinical in need, things that should raise our concern to say, hey, this is not a problem I can solve, but I need I need help and support of someone who's more of an expert. Yeah, I appreciated the conversation because she helped decipher between helping parents be able to kind of sift through what's going on and be able to recognize like what is an actual diagnosed issue that may need some extra attention and what is just a kid or a student being a kid and a student. Um, and sometimes we just don't know the differences. And so I felt like her her words and just some tangible next steps were quite helpful for me personally. Absolutely. And I know one thing that the people of Crossroads through the pandemic remain intact with some of their big goals, right? They want to see their kids flourish. They want to see them have a future. They want to see them raised as Christ um, is near and close to them. They want their kids to have a lifelong relationship with Jesus, all of these sort of things. Those goals remain intact. And so I hope that this episode is helpful to you, especially for those of you who are parents, as you think through how to parent well when there's no playbook, the world has changed, and we still have in mind goals of which we're trying to head to as parents. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope that it stirs something within you to think about how to be an effective parent in a time where it's hard to put our finger on what that even means. Hello, welcome to this episode of Through Life's Crossroads, where we at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene are thinking through the issues that are affecting our lives and how it is uh, we can do so in a manner that helps us grow in our faith and also uh, grow in our connections with our family. And today I have Dr. Nicole Gloff with me. I'm going to introduce her uh, briefly, but let her uh, explain to you a little bit about what she does. Uh, she works with uh, children and families as a psychiatrist, correctly? Oh, I'm always afraid I'm going to get that term wrong. Um, would you tell us, uh, Dr. Galoff, a little bit about um, about your practice, uh, where you studied, and, and what some of your uh, particular focuses are on? Sure, sure. So I am a uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, and what that means is I am a physician that helps children and families deal with a whole host of issues, anywhere from focusing issues, feeling depressed, anxious. Um, so in terms of background, being a physician, you know, I did the four years of uh, college, another four years of medical school. I did four years of general psychiatry residency um, and an additional two years um, specializing in working with children and adolescents. And I still work with adults, um, and I, I really like working with adults, and my passion is working with the children and their families. Um, you know, and and like I said, like definitely a range of things that I help families with, um, but areas of expertise really around anxiety and, and, and depression, I would say. Um, and my practice is actually very close um, to the church. I am 
um, right near the heart of Ellicott City um, at uh, our practices, the Maryland Centers for Psychiatry. That's great. And all of this before 40. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it so sounds like you've been at work on this since you were like seven. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And then also you, uh, you yourself are a mommy of two beautiful children. I am. I am. I have um, two kids, Clara, who is eight, and Patrick, who is about to turn five. That's great. And so I've asked you to come talk today about, um, about parenting and children in 2020 in the midst of this pandemic, online schooling, all of these things that we never planned for. In particular, um, the issues that you and I want to center around talking today is uh, really identifying um, what, what is fact and fiction about, um, about so much of our world, but also like, are our kids okay? Mm -hmm. are, they, are they really okay? Are we the ones who are anxious or is there something that's that's identifiable in them that really needs assistance? And what are those what are those things, those markers in our kids' lives that we should be watching for and 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 what are things that we can do as parents to help them when uh when they're really truly struggling? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, great. All right. So, um so uh I'm hearing from a lot of parents that um, that they're wrestling with just this, and and so I'm wondering if you could help help us think about um, in this time where kids can come off looking sad, distant, lonely. Mm -hmm. um, when is when are they simply grieving, and we as parents need to come alongside of them and and help them grieve. And, and when is it actually something that's a problem that needs more than just a parent who's there to care for them? And what does that look like in, in a time of social distancing and masks and schools not open? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a great question. And, and I like how you phrased it as grief, because I think a lot of what all of us are feeling in this time is, is grief of a loss of how things were. You know, you might have a child that is sad or disappointed um, because things aren't the same. And, you know, in those moments, as a parent, you want to be there to help them absorb that grief and that sadness, not to take it away, not to pave the road and clear it out and make it so that they're never sad, but to be there and support them. And so what that might look like is you know, being angry sometimes, being sad, even tearful sometimes. Um, what becomes more worrisome is when the kids start to withdraw and isolate. So if they're not doing the things they used to do, you know, so they like to play sports, they're not interested in that anymore. They might be spending more time in their room, not around family as much as they would be. Um, just not... Um, interacting and socializing, that is definitely very concerning. You know, if we're worried about something, you know, even deeper, like a depression, in addition to that change in eating habits, like low appetite, for example, trouble sleeping, um, focus issues, really low energy, a lot of irritability um, in younger kids being very irritable or complaining of physical symptoms is is really common because they don't have the words to, to express in the same way as teenagers and adults do. So headaches, stomach aches, just not feeling good all the time, 
that is when it's probably time to consult with, you know, someone at school, um, pediatrician, somebody who can guide you in a direction and be that first line to say, okay, you know, let's see, this seems like maybe this isn't normal. Should we direct you to a professional that mm -hmm. can help? And this is a bit on a sliding scale, right? Like if your child was um, kind of, kind of an, an artsy withdrawn personality a year ago, if they're an artsy withdrawn personality now, like, like oh. you don't have to like push the pandemic on that, right? Like, well, yeah. this explains where they've been before. Like we're talking about if there's been a regression into these places, Correct. right? Correct. You want to see a distinct change, right? And, and it is hard. And I have to say, you know, now I, amidst the pandemic, I'm still seeing all of my patients virtually. Um, and, you know, so many of the conversations we'll have you know, and this could go from focus issues to anxiety to depression is how much of this is the pandemic or how much of it was the already baseline mm -hmm. issue. And I have to be honest, it has, and I am sure my colleagues feel the same way. It has added another layer of skill and difficulty really parsing that out because certainly we don't want to treat, especially with medication, something that is just a normal reaction. Um, but, but it's hard to tell. And even the example of sleep for, you know, yeah, everybody's sleep is disordered right now, especially teenagers. They're mm -hmm. staying up late. They're sleeping in late because that's what their bodies want to do. Yeah, my, my middle school daughter was always, always when practice ended, she'd come home and go to bed. Mm -hmm. And because um, she had to get up for a bus 730 in the morning. And now she comes home at nine o'clock at night after practice and wants to know why we want her to go to bed at 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. It's this it couldn't be further night and day from a year ago. Right, right, right. And, and, and something like that that is not as worrisome on its own, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think even adults are staying up later. You know, we're all, especially if we're working from home, we just don't have to get up and, and do the same routines as mm -hmm. we did. And so, you know, whatever pattern we're naturally inclined to being a night owl or someone who is a, a morning person, we're going to fall into that. And for teenagers in particular, I mean, I've had so many, especially um, in the spring and summer, who, I mean, their schedules almost seem flipped where they became more nocturnal. That's more of a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but doesn't mean it's a sign of uh, depression or something like that. Again, it's just adolescents, you know, teenagers, they, that's just how they're programmed to stay up late and to sleep in late and get a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. I had parents, my child's sleeping 10, 12 hours. I'm concerned, but it's like a 14 year old. They need that much sleep anyway, but our kids were never getting enough sleep before because yeah, they had yeah. to get up for high school or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a, there's a certain way in which we could say that this pandemic has uh, exacerbated our tendencies, right? Yes. Like, so, yes. so that's not necessarily a warning sign, right? Like, if you've seen this before and it's just worse, mm -hmm. like, it's exacerbated. This is really, you're advising us to look for major changes. Like, yes. this was not, um, this was not manifest in their life before. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing something different. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I want to talk a little bit about parenting through that because mm -hmm. what I hear about uh, parenting and what I hear about what teachers are invited to try to pull out of their student is this idea of grit and resilience, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that seems so wise to me because eventually you're you as a parent aren't going to be able to be there for your kid when they're 19 and a sophomore in college. You're not going to be able to be there when they have their first job review at 23 years old, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? They have to develop this ability to face adversity, 
and find some skills to make it through it, right? Mm -hmm. So how how is it that um, that in this time, this is a great season to help our kids develop some grit and resilience. It's a great season. And and I, I, I think I think that um, this is my opinion, but I think when parents are getting this wrong is when they're trying to cultivate around them almost like a padded room so they never have to face how they hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or every time they struggle, the parents turn on their own bullhorn about how difficult 2020 is and it should never be this way and it's not fair that you're getting this, blah, blah, blah. Well, on, out of the other side of our mouths as parents, we'll tell our kids life isn't fair, mm-hmm. right? And so what are some skills as parents that we can utilize this year of difficulty? It's difficult. It's hard. It's hard on our kids. It's hard on us. But what are some ways that we can help our kids develop some some grit and some resilience out of this year rather than just trying to make it okay all the time? Right, right. And so I think you made a, a really good point there because I am definitely a proponent of letting children have adverse experiences, let them have practice failing and, and dealing with these tough situations. You know, we don't want to be that snowplow parent that just clears the way. Mm-hmm. So there are no obstacles. Um, but there's a lot of obstacles. So I think that now, you know, again, sitting with that and saying, you know what, that really, that stinks. You know, I'm disappointed about this too. Join in the moment with them, empathize with them, but also challenge them to do things. Um, taking, I think as parents many times and, and myself included, it's easier to take the path of least resistance, especially when things are really stressful. And 2020 has been very, very stressful. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of us are just like, okay, well, whatever's easier, you know, okay. Or I'll take care of this for you. Or you're feeling really lonely. Uh, Fine. We'll just, I'll just, whatever. You can go to your friend's house and, you know, where that puts other things at risk. And, you know, but I think at this time, it's just letting our kids have practice sitting with discomfort and, and, and those challenges, but also helping structure things to have a sense of security and normalcy. So for example, and I think I'm going a bit on a tangent, but in other examples of tragedy that we've had, you know, in this country and other countries, whether it's like a natural disaster or a war or something that's going on, this is not quite to that level, but it is pretty traumatic for a lot of people in a lot of ways. But the most important thing is to maintain routine, normalcy, consistency. Um, And and that's not going to be the same, right? Like you're not going to school in the same way. You're not able to go necessarily to like all these like events and practices and and whatnot. But the most you can in terms of the routine and the structure. Um, But what we've learned from like post-disaster situations is that secure and ongoing attachment with parents is very important. You know, parents helping the kids develop self-regulation and skills to do that. And by self-regulation, I mean, you know, like coping skills for when you're upset and you're stressed and to be able to sit with those feelings, like I said, Um, and having that support and also a sense of control. And that's something I've also talked with a lot of, you know, my patients and families about, 
is that in a time where it feels like everything is so out of control, like finding something that a child can control. And I've seen a lot of kids really um, engage with their parents in a power struggle or something, because I think they're so badly just wanting to control things mm -hmm. and do it their way. So allowing them to do that. So, so we, we know all of these things and these things are difficult to do, but we know that, you know, if, if we, as parents, you know, lean into parenting, you know, try to both support, empower, you know, our kids to, to do these things that they're going to be okay. You know, and we've seen that, you know, looking at things like Hurricane Katrina, other disasters. Yes, they were very traumatic in a lot of ways. You know, people with the PTSD and whatnot, you know, the, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to underestimate that. But many people were okay. Kids mm -hmm. are very resilient. Um, you know, and resiliency, again, that's probably a whole other talk. And there's a lot of factors that, that come into play there. But I, I think I probably really went off on a tangent. No, that's there. very helpful. <laughs> and and I th I think um, I think also it's really good for us as parents to realize. I think at least I do this is I I narrate my accomplishments and my personality and where I am through the lens of tragedy in my childhood. Right? Mm -hmm. Like these are real pains from when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet my ability to weather them becomes really a part of how I tell my story as an adult. And I think most of us are that way. We like to talk about the conflict in our story. And most of us, um, most of us, not all, are able to leverage that conflict as a way to grow, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And so it's really interesting. I, I can still remember when I was a kid, when I had a problem, how much my mom wanted to get involved in my problems. And I just so desperately wanted her to leave me alone mm -hmm. and handle my own problems. Um, I think that's a common teenage, middle school, adolescent experience. Mm, absolutely. And then when we're parents, we can't remember what that was like. <laughs> like we want to fix our kids' yes. problems. And, and, we're the same body and same person and same chemistry that wanted our mom to leave us alone. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so we're in this season now of, of what's probably going to color our children's mm -hmm. childhood. Mm -hmm. They're going to remember this. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about how five-year-olds, this is 20% of their life, 2020. Yeah. To this point, right. Yeah. It won't be in the long run. Right. right but, right. um, I, it doesn't, it seems like parents are wanting to fix this for their kids. Mm -hmm. It seems to me what's more likely we're doing is modeling how to handle um, things that stink or what grit looks like for our kids, yes. right? If we're whining, if we're complaining, if we're upset all the time about what this has caused for our kids, and that's the patterns that our kids are going to grow up with and how they're going to learn to deal with adversity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think modeling is something that we have to pay attention to. Um, One of my favorite shows is uh, Parks and Recreation. I love oh, that yes, show. It me makes too. me laugh so much. And there's this really, really great scene when Anne gets pregnant. She's she's with the, um, her, her husband, the father of her child, is the most positive person in the history of TV. Uh, his name is Chris. And when she's pregnant, she complains to everyone that Chris just won't let her complain. He wants to make everything right. And she's hormonal. She's frustrated. And she just wants him to say, 
that stinks. Mm -hmm. And when he does, her world is okay again. And uh, that that like that feels like a like a metaphor for our life right now, right? Like just coming alongside the people who are affected by this mm -hmm. and saying, "Yeah, this stinks." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for kids, I mean, one strategy that we use to help relate to kids even before all of this is, you know, uh, nobody, we can't watch a movie tonight and they get really upset. You know what, buddy? I really hate when, you know, I can't do what I want to do. And you know what? That makes me feel sad too. And that really helps. Mm -hmm. Kids just want to be understood, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a very basic example. This is a, a much larger example, but, but to sit down and be like, this is no fun. Nobody likes this, yeah. you know, because if you are either too negative all the time or too positive, like, and pretend everything's okay and nothing's wrong and the world is fine. I think both of those strategies aren't really validating what the kid is feeling. Yeah. Um, and again, age depends on this and in terms of how they can conceptualize it. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to just sit and cry together, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and just, and that's okay, you know, because I think that then your child realizes that, okay, like I'm not alone in these painful feelings that I'm having. Yeah. Yeah. And there's things that they'll say that match exactly what you feel too, right? I miss my friends. Yes. I miss my friends too. Yeah, me too. Um, right. Like, like there are ways that they'll, that they'll express what they're missing that we could just come right alongside. Like I miss going to school. Well, you don't miss going to school, but maybe you miss, maybe you miss seeing your boss face to face, right? Like, uh, I don't have a teacher, but I do have a boss and I miss seeing them as well. And um, yeah, I don't like sitting on my work Zoom meetings either, right? right? Like right. Um, that, that sort of empathy, I, oh, I think- goes so far. Goes so far, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'll see patients, especially younger kids, you know, they're on the screens all the time and then I'm having to have them on a screen and I always try to empathize with them. And I'm like, I know, trust me, I don't like sitting and watching, you know, like you on a video screen or all my patients on a video screen all day. And I think that makes them feel better because they realize that it's nothing about them. Nobody is really liking what this is turning into yeah, in a lot of right. ways. I had a, um, a guy in our church, great, great dad, young kids told me the story about his son after school all day saying, Hey dad, can I watch my iPad or my tablet or whatever? I haven't had any screen time today. Mm -hmm. And he said, I had to explain to him that we're going to have to redefine what screen time is. Yes. Because technically you've had screen time all day. W what do you think is um, proper screen time protocol in a world where our world is the screen, right? Like, right. Is, is, um, is screen time on top of school okay? Yeah, I think, you know, it... Again, it's this new balance. You know, the advice that I've been giving is that you talk about, you know, school time and, and any academic time, I guess you could say academic time on the screen is different than entertainment time on the screen. I still go along with the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendation, two hours of screen time, like video games, social media, phone, TV, whatever that is, a day. Because, and the, there's a lot of reasons for that limitation, but we need to make sure that we are still allowing our children to use these other parts of their brain, the creative parts. It's good for them to be bored. 
you know, like, I don't know about you, Tim, but when I was a kid, like the times when I was bored, I came up with the most elaborate, interesting games and like everything. And if kids are just plugged in all the time, and this is not just 2020, this is like all the time, they're not able to develop in that way. Yeah. And we want to make sure we still give them those opportunities. Um, and then social media, again, that's probably another discussion, but I think during this time, there's just a lot, um, a lot of negative things about social media and it's definitely not going to, not very good for our kids, um, to be exposed for that for hours and hours a day. Yeah, I think so. Um, boredom is such an interesting concept. Um, we're, ah, man, I feel like, I feel like generally we're invited to program our kids away from boredom today. There's so many options Mm -hmm. in and out of the home. Uh, parents have always been busy. It seems to me to be a coping mechanism with, uh, this is just my opinion with the difficulty of parenting to keep them busy. If they're busy, they're not bothering me. And all mm-hmm. of that stuff has just been taken from parents. But you talked a little bit about boredom, and I think it'd be interesting to lean into that. So there's a story that I've heard before. I don't think it's apocryphal. I think it's true um, that uh, Bach, the, the composer, Bach started in music because he was bored at church. So he would go to church with his dad and tell his dad that church music was boring and his dad would say, well, there's nothing we can do to fix that. And he decided he was going to fix it. And so he became this brilliant composer with the expressed imagination to write beautiful church music because church music bored him so badly. Um, we could talk about this over and over and over about kids in the Dominican Republic using every free moment they have to learn to play baseball with with uh cardboard gloves and sticks as balls and rocks rocks as balls and sticks as bats right Mm -hmm. like boredom creates a a, a creativity in our children that stimulus can't right Mm -hmm. and so um it seems to me um i think all of us as adults in our jobs are being told over and over and over to use this moment to be innovative to think about what the world is going to look like moving forward and be creative. And so that's what I'm doing at work all the time is innovating, being creative, all this sort of stuff. I'm afraid we're not inviting our kids into that opportunity that this moment gives us. Mm-hmm. And so that sounds exhausting. I know I'm probably saying that parents are probably thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. No, no doubt. Right. Sure. But isn't there something to be said about like um, utilizing this moment to indulge their boredom? So what are you going to do with it? Like, and, and help them develop as people, right? Absolutely. It makes me think of an example of, actually, I've heard a couple examples of this and it's usually like 12 year old boys. The parents will be like, you know, this was really when things were shut down, there's nothing to do. And they would just kind of like go in the woods behind the house and jump in mud puddles and find frogs and snakes and whatever. And you know what I mean? And just be 12 year old boys. Yeah. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Like, cause kids don't do that anymore, mm-hmm. but that's what they need to do. They need to explore. They need to be in nature. And of course, safely, obviously, yeah. Yeah. but, um, I just, and, and, you know, you talk to the kid and they, they're having a great time. Like, Oh, I found this and I saw this and, you know, and they might be able to do that in a socially distanced way. So it's perfect. And um, I don't know. I think that we don't always have to have activities for our kids. We don't always have to play with our kids. 
you know, it's about quality, not quantity, mm-hmm. you know, nobody, you know what, this is your playtime, you know, like just go play quietly. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Figure it out. Go find something, you know, and they might keep coming back, but keep saying, and then they'll get used to it. And I mean, with my own kids, I can relate to this because at first during the pandemic and trying to figure everything out, there was a lot of TV time and then realized that that wasn't good. And so trying to put the limit on that and have them figure out how to play and seeing them play in a way that I don't think I've seen them play, like in the level of creativity mm-hmm. yeah. and playing together. Um, and also with two siblings, like three and a half years apart, you know, I have five or almost five and eight. They weren't finding a lot of common ground. And I feel like one of the really beautiful things of this is that they have learned how to be friends. Mm-hmm you know, and like kind of figure out what each other can do and how to include each other in their play. And again, my husband and I weren't involved with that. It was that time where they're like, we're just like, go outside, (laughs) just go and be. Um, and, and, and so I think that, and it's just very reminiscent of how things were, I think when we were kids, right. (laughs) Where mom's like, see you at dinner time. Um, but I think so many good things can happen from that. Yeah. And that's such another good outcome too, because one of, one of my parenting goals is that one day my daughters call me and tell me they're going to do something that I didn't arrange. Yes. Right. That they're yes. friends on their own, that their sisterhood matters to them in a way that I don't have to cultivate. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you're not going to yeah. learn that if you don't give them the opportunity to do that now. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, God forbid um, I die at 50 and they're both in their twenties, right? Like mm-hmm. is a relationship dead because we haven't, I mean, we got to cultivate it now to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, that I'm really worried about with parents, parents are already feeling overwhelmed. Here we are. We've been talking for about a half hour now about do this better, get this right. Um, here's the mistake you could be looking for. Here's how your parent, your child might be dysfunctional, right? We talk about all of these sort of things. That's just overwhelming, right? I mean, that's just another layer of Oh, I've got to dig back in. I'm tired. This has been nine months. Oh, and I've got to maybe change a behavior or two. Um, wh- what would you say to um, to weary parents about like some stamina, some digging back in, like where it feels overwhelming? Mm-hmm. So I think that with all of this, the goal is to just basically do the best you can. The there so there was a pediatrician and psychoanalyst his name was Dr. Winnicott and he practiced he wrote a, a lot of books and was probably practicing the 50s probably a little bit before that. And um so some of of his ideas and and things are a bit antiquated but what he, one of the things um and he's very famous, you know, in, in the you know pediatric and um psychiatry communities but one thing that Dr. Winnicott uh, always sticks out to me is the concept of the good enough mother. And I think in 2020, we can say good enough parent because mm-hmm. it's not just mom. Um, but what he was saying were a few things. It's, you know, first of all, taking the pressure off of being perfect. But what we realize with kids is as long as we're doing the best that we can, we love our kids. And if we're reliable, and consist, you know, they know what they can get from us. 
that they're going to be okay. So there's actually some downsides to being perfect. You know, and we say all of these things, you know, today we're talking about all of these things we should do. I know I probably don't do these things half the time, right? Like we try the best that we can. Mm -hmm. If we are perfect, actually, we found that, you know, this perfect parenting, kids actually have more issues than a parent that's just good enough. Like, yeah, we don't want to be an abusive parent. We don't want to be neglectful. That's not good either. But there is that somewhere in the middle. So um, if we if we don't let kids see us be sad or angry or, you know, argue with a, a, a spouse or a family member or things like that and pretend everything is just bright and sunny all the time, they're not going to have those skills to deal with real life things which have to do with conflict and everything. And so if we are just real with our kids, we love the heck out of them and we let them know that we're there for them, no matter what you do outside of that, they're going to be okay. You know, I mean, and really that's what it comes down to as a parent and you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And they're going to have too much screen time. Or maybe you say like, you know, oh, I shouldn't have let them get that, you know, Instagram account or whatnot. But at the end of the day, just love them and just try your best and you're not going to be perfect and you shouldn't be, I don't want to be perfect, you know, for my kids. I think it's good for them to see us stumble and make mistakes and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this season is inviting us to make new mistakes that we didn't even know we had in us, right? Right. And uh, and that's that's okay. It's it's just okay. And um, I really really appreciate that that language of good enough. Um, I th- I I feel like I grew up with great parents, but um, I mean, man, I just I just adored them. I loved my parents. Um, but if you wanted me to make a list of what was wrong with them, it wouldn't take long. I could get to 10 really fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, just really fast. And I just think, I think one of the things that's most helpful to me as a parent is um, recognizing how okay I turned out with all of these things exactly. that were cutting against me as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have perfect parents. I didn't have a stable socioeconomic mm-hmm. status. I... Uh, I had parents who loved me that were trying hard, that wanted a better life for me than they were given. Mm -hmm. And I mean, their goals were met and it's not because they nailed it at every turn. Right. And so my hope is that remembering some of the worst about our childhood, some of the things that we look back and say, why would anyone have ever let me do that? Will help us realize that we can fall short and not ruin our kids as well, Mm -hmm. right? give ourselves some empathy as a parent to say, I'm not always going to get it right, but my parents didn't always get it right. And I turned out okay. Exactly. And, um, and yeah, yeah. Just this idea that you said too, I just want to reemphasize this is so good. Perfect parents mess up kids, just like abusive parents. It may not be the same. It may not be the same mess up on a moral scale. It's not equivalent. Right. Mm-hmm. But perfect parents create dysfunctional children as well. Absolutely. That's, that's that's so helpful to remember so that it's not about us rising to a bar and if we get to that bar then our kids will be okay mm-hmm. and uh the last thing i just want to re-emphasize as well as we think about all of this getting parenting right in this season no one trained it for there's no manual all this sort of stuff you said you don't always have to be involved in every task 
that they're in. And so I wonder if, if you would just be willing to share just for a moment about how parents can refresh their empty tank by turning their kids away and saying, you figure this out for mm -hmm. the next hour, mm -hmm. rather than having to program wake up to bedtime. Right, right, right. And I, I think, you know, as a parent myself, that is one of the things that I think keeps me going is being able to say, okay, you know, go play in your room, figure it out, go outside, whatnot, because then that gives my husband and I a minute to talk and connect, which mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't happen every day. Um, but I, if we as parents do not take moments to care for ourselves, we are not going to be effective parents, you know, yeah. again, cliche, but you got to push your, you know, put the oxygen on you first before you can assist your child. Yeah. You know, if the plane's yeah. going down, you have to do that. I mean, kids are so attuned to the emotional states, whether that is positive or negative of their parents, even very young age, so attuned to that. They know even with sometimes out, without us knowing if we're stressed or tensed or overwhelmed. So you have to take time for yourself. Yeah. And I know I get, everyone's like, well, how am I going to do this? There's a million things to do, but I think that's a good point. Tell your kids to figure it out so you can take a breather and do something that's important to you in your relationship, in your marriage, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that happens to be, just like a chance to make dinner in peace. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't make you a bad parent. Oh yeah. my gosh. Not at all. Not at all. That's good. I, I, I just generally think as we wind this down, I, I just think parents are doing better than they give themselves credit for. Absolutely. Even, even though it's appropriate, I think, to do some assessment about what's going right and what's going wrong. And, um, and as we talked way about in the beginning, being in tune between what the difference is of sliding into dysfunction, your children and um and and just having a hard time um it's definitely worth stepping back and taking an overview like we've done here but i think parents are doing pretty good i think so too and so i hope i hope for those of you who are listening today that you take that seriously that you recognize that um that that you're doing more right than you're doing wrong and we hope that this last conversation of about 35 minutes or so has been helpful to you to think through some issues that's hard to really focus on uh, when you're just parenting in the trenches every day, all day long, your kids don't leave, you're working from home, it's difficult to assess. And we hope this has given you an ability to do that just a little bit. Dr. Gloff, thank you so much for coming and spending time with us. It's so appreciated that you'd be willing to share your expertise with the parents uh, that, that we minister to and we care for here at Crossroads. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Through Life's Crossroads. This has been a ministry of Crossroads Church with Pastor Jake and Pastor Tim. We encourage you to continue to engage with us online throughout the week on Facebook at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene and also on Instagram, Crossroads Naz Church. Thanks for joining us for this episode.